Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's the summer season, as you can tell. And it finally felt like summer this week. I can hardly move due to the amount of barbecue that's been consumed since last weekend. It's a week that's passed in pounds and ounces rather than days and hours. But summer season also means holidays and a break for our much-loved and appreciated kids workers. So whole family's in for the whole service, so a shorter message today. So forgive me if I speak more quickly than usual, 20 minutes focuses the mind. I was watching a, a friend's church service on uh, YouTube recently. They had a guest speaker in, and he's a hugely experienced man of God, and he's now in his 70s, but seemingly as vibrant as ever. And he spoke about grace and freedom, and I think he always speaks about grace and freedom, but it also seemed to me that he embodied grace and freedom. It was his lived experience of Jesus. It was his testimony. And the guy was inspiring, and the guy was insightful, and the guy was really funny. But watching him, I could, I could feel a, a question forming in my spirit. What is my life's message? And I suspect that question's not just for me. So anyone else, what is my life's message? If I had 20 minutes, what would I say? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you have hope in you? Yes, I do. I do. And I have a call. I have a call. And if I could sum that up in one word, I think this would be it. Transformation. Transformation. Where, where I am and who I am now is not where it ends. There is more. There is more. Jesus makes all things new. So apologies in advance if you hear me saying something today that I've maybe said before, but sorry, not sorry. You know, there's a reason I go on about this stuff. It's exciting, and it's my experience. And Jesus has transformed my life, and he's not finished yet. Romans 12 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you ever feel like you just don't fit? Like you don't really fit in your friend group, or you don't really fit in your workplace, or you don't really fit in your family? Can I gently suggest something? Don't worry about it. What if you're not meant to fit? What if you are made for more? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform. Do not force yourself to fit in. Do not allow others to force you to fit to the pattern of this world. You were made for another kingdom. Be transformed. I was going to say submit to the process, but actually, no. Submit to Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this morning, I'm going to take a look again at issues of perspective, of identity, of destiny, and how they're all connected to transformation. 
the renewing of your mind. How you think matters. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we believe counts. Beliefs shape behaviors. Behaviors form habits. Habits determine outcomes. And underneath all of this is identity. There's a reason the devil goes after our identity, our sense of identity. If we doubt who we are, we doubt who God says we are, we doubt God, and our faith is weakened. Identity is important. We hear a lot about it these days. We hear a lot about identity these days, and I get it. I do get it. What is more personal, what is more fundamental to us than identity? How we see ourselves, our perspective, informs how we live our lives. How we respond and react and relate to one another. So, first, I'd like to look at calling, just for a moment. I remember, I remember a conversation with a friend a few years back. He reckons that your call is the same as your work. That friend's sitting on the front row. He reckons that your call is the same as your work. Think of your call as your work. And if you're really blessed, your work will line up with your job. But they're not necessarily the same thing. Your work is your call. Your work or your call is simply what you were made to do. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, many of you, many of you all know that I'm an architect by profession, and after more than a decade gaining experience with others, I set up my own practice in 2009. Now, since then, I've had the blessing of over 350 projects. Now, the undoubted highlight for me was the opportunity to contribute to the rebuilding effort in Haiti after the earthquake alongside some incredible people, some of whom are in this room. And it was the design of the mission hospital, a couple of schools, an accommodation center, the orphan's village. And my company's name is Architecture Design Development, but usually it's shortened to ADD or more commonly, AD, AD. And quite simply, I believe that as temples of the Holy Spirit, we bring more than just ourselves to our everyday situations, we add. Many of us, for many of us, the largest part of our day is spent in working or business situations. We can add here. We don't go to these places alone. The name add is a reminder to me that I bring more than just myself to every project. There's always an opportunity to add value. We're blessed to be a blessing. We tell it to ourselves a lot. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's because it's true. And our work can be an act of worship when it's offered to God. I believe our calling is not just limited to the, the four walls of, of a church building or, or even the, the, the church community immediately. It's not limited to the dimension of work or business either. We can add value and carry the transformational presence of God in our families and communities, in our schools and the government, into the world of sport and media. We can affect change and bring blessing across our nation. Every one of us, every one of us 
has something to bring. Every one of us can add value, and that's because every one of us has value. Every one of us has value. It's from the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak, and God has put within each of us a new heart. Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. See, it's all about transformation. And that takes place when we lift up others. Yeast makes things rise. Listen to me, pretend, just pretend I'm like an expert baker or something. <laughs> Jill can confirm that I once spent, we once spent this week living the middle class dream. We bought a bread maker. Whole week of fresh bread, and then it was consigned to the back of the cupboard alongside the, the Nutribullet juicer that I spoke about the last time. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Nonetheless, it's all, about, it's all about transformation. It's all about transformation. If we're blessed to be a blessing, as we are transformed in Christ, we can also be agents of transformation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's exciting. That's exciting. Amen at the back. That's exciting. My favorite type of projects are when we take a building that is overlooked and unused and broken down and neglected and we give it renewed purpose. We restore it. We reveal the, the beauty that has been hidden or forgotten. I always like to have a couple of projects like that on the board. But why wouldn't our work be like a prophetic mirror, an extension of what God does in the lives of his children over and over again? Anyway, a new life has begun. So why wouldn't we also have a new adventure every day as we carry the presence of God into every situation and expect transformation? I love the way Romans 12.2 is rendered in the message. I'll just read it out. I just love this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So transformation. The next word, the next word from my profession or my calling is perspective. Now, perspective's always been a thing for me. I love perspective. We were watching something the other night. I can't even remember what it was now. Some, some art program. Anyway, perspective's always been a thing for me. I was talking about this the other day. Perspective's always been a thing for me. I loved perspective drawing at school. I went to the study and the practice of architecture because I loved perspective. Uh, the dictionary definition, I'm sure I've read this before, but the dictionary definition of perspective goes like this. Noun. The art of representing three-dimensional objects on a two-dimensional surface so as to give the right impression of their height, width, depth, and position in relation to one another. 
So the question I have is this, do I have the right impression of myself, of my relationships, of my life? And if not, how can I find it? Who can I ask? I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I will make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times to what is still to come. Isaiah 46, God, the Father, the Creator, the only one who has the full perspective. You'll find your right impression in Him, in Him. He's the one we go to. Now, there's a few things I've read over the past year which have kind of nudged my thinking about perspective. Stephen Furtick posted on Instagram once, prayer isn't just about saying things to God, it's about seeing things as God sees them, changing perspective. This is good too from Terry Virgo, and I'm sure I've shared this one before, you might remember it. Prophetic people are totally alive to world issues, yet totally sold out to God's perspective. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. See our lives, our situations, from God's perspective. It's the only way to keep hope alive. It's time to see things. It's time to see ourselves as God sees us. Now, last month, I was, I was asked to speak online uh, at a women's event. Now, that, that's daunting. I've got to be honest. I don't fear many things, but that was daunting. But the host is a friend. The host is a friend. And she asked me a question. If you could tell your spouse slash daughter one thing, what would you tell them? What would they need to know? And it's a simple question, I suppose, but it really got me thinking about seeing things from a different perspective. Obviously, I have Jill, so I have a spouse. But what I don't have, what I've never really considered is, how would I speak to my daughter? How would I approach from that perspective? Now, there's a, there's a dad that I've got to know. Um, my boys all play football, and his boy played with Ruben when they were, they were just starting out. Uh, but he also has two daughters, and they are champions in the world of competitive dancing. Now, from what I can gather, that world is like next level competitive compared to the boys' football league. So he's, he's a man of wisdom and long-suffering. But he posted something on Instagram recently, and it was a quote, and I'm sorry I don't have the reference, but this is a quote. If I could give my daughter three things, it would be the confidence to always know her self-worth, the strength to trace her dreams, and the ability to know how deeply loved she is. Now, that's really good. Confidence, strength, security, and love. It's brilliant. But as I was thinking about this, another line popped into my head, and it was out of nowhere. It was a line of scripture, but not one that I think I'd ever uttered. Tell her she is the apple of his eye. Now, I'm not claiming that it was the audible voice of God, but it was very definitely Holy Spirit inspired, because Jill can confirm, I don't speak or even think like that. Tell her, tell her, tell her. She's the apple of his eye. Whisper was there again. You would tell her that, the, that she's the apple of his eye. Now, the apple of his eye, it's a, it's a fascinating phrase. It's mentioned in Psalm 17, Proverbs 7, Zechariah 2, Zechariah 2, and Deuteronomy 
32.10, which I'm going to go to in a minute, it's used there to describe the way that God cares for his people. And in this case, in Deuteronomy, it's used to, to Jacob and his house, to Israel. But now, that includes all his people. That's me and you. So Deuteronomy 32.9-11, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So there are three things from that scripture I just want to draw out. When God makes you the apple of his eye, he surrounds you at your lowest, at your loneliest. He draws you back to him. You're never alone. So be free to love. Be free to love. You're never alone. Second thing is, God, when God makes you the apple of his eye, he instructs and directs you. You're never lost. So be confident. Be confident. You're never lost. You're never so far gone. And when God makes you the apple of his eye, he protects and provides for you. So you never have to fear. So be strong. Be strong. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and, he, and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, the phrase, apple of his eye, has passed into common usage. But do we ever stop to think about what it means? I mean, it passed into common usage in, in an English language a long time ago, and it's been a fascinating study for me to, to learn a bit more about its meaning and its significance. Apple of his eye speaks of affirmation. When we refer to the apple of his eye, we refer to someone or something of the highest value. You're valued. Apple of his eye speaks of attention. When we refer to the apple of his eye, we refer to someone or something which is in the center of our gaze, our uninterrupted focus. The thing or the person has our full attention. Apple of his eye. Apple of his eye speaks of affection. When we refer to somebody who is the apple of his eye, we refer to someone or something to be looked after with tender care and love. Apple of his eye speaks of protection. The center of the eye, the pupil, is very vulnerable. It's open. It's where the, the light gets in, Matthew 6, 22. But it is surrounded and protected. Eyelashes, eyelids, eyebrows, eye sockets. It's free it, to do what it needs to do because it's so well protected. So the apple of his eye speaks of protection. When we refer to the apple of his eye, we refer to someone or something that is surrounded and protected. And finally, and I love this, it speaks of, you maybe see it in the image behind me, it speaks of reflection. The literal translation in the original Hebrew of apple of his eye means maiden of the eye or little man in the eye. Apple of his eye speaks of reflection, 
someone or something reflected in God's eye. It speaks of closeness, and it speaks of identity. You're surrounded by Him. He is so close to you that you can see yourself in His eyes. He is love, therefore His eyes are love, so what He see what he sees. You're surrounded by his love. Get your identity in him. See yourself in his eyes of love. Get his perspective on your identity. Now, we find our identity in him. No wonder David cried out to God in the Psalms, keep me in the apple of your eye. He knew the importance of being the apple of God's eye. Jesus once asked Peter, he says, who do you say I am? And I suppose I'm asking the question this morning, or we should be asking the question this morning, who does God say I am? Perhaps the, the worship team could come up and get ready. I'll be closing in a moment. But there are many affirmations in Scripture, throughout Scripture. Don't have time for going into them all today, but seek them out. Seek them out and write them down. Always remember, you're a new creation in Christ, and it was for freedom that you were set free. Don't allow yourself to get boxed in by others, and don't allow your own self-talk to box you in. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed. You're a child of God, made in His image, the apple of His eye. So you're not just the place you came from. You're not the result of that personality quiz you took in a magazine when you were 15. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not what that teacher said about you. You're not what your ex-boss complained about. And I've had a few. You're not a slave, though, to other people's opinions or labels, or your own opinions and labels. You're a slave to nothing except Christ. Okay, but... You also don't need to excuse, and I'm talking to myself here, you don't need to excuse your own bad behavior or flaws with, well, this is who I am. You can change. You can change. I can change. We can choose a better way. Let's embrace it. Transformation. So if I have only one life message, if I keep seeing and saying the same thing, then this is it. Transformation. That's my message, my hope, and my call. And maybe your call is not the same as my call, but your father is the same as mine. You're a child of God, the apple of his eye. He loves you as you are, but because he loves you so much, he won't leave you as you are. Can I level with you guys? Can I level with you for a minute? Jesus. Jesus is my savior. He's not reduced to some friendly, benevolent, fulfillment giving, prosperity offering, life enhancer, although fullness of life is in him. But I first met him as my savior. I know who I'd become. I know what I was becoming. I know where I was going without him. And he is Lord. And he is teacher and healer and friend 
He's Lord. He's Savior. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Salvation and new creation and transformation are in Him. They're found in Him. In John 16, I'll close with this. In John 16, Jesus says, Everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Do not conform. You are more than a conqueror. Know who you are and know whose you are. Be bold, be courageous, be blessed. Let's pray, let's pray. Heavenly Father, keep us, as David prayed, as the apple of your eye. Keep us in your provision and protection and great, great love. Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you make us a new creation. You make all things new. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, move in us today that we'd find courage to step into the new life that you're calling us into. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.